Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. The FDA is currently evaluating the safety of CBD, and I think it's safe to say they're really taking their time in doing so. While there has been some acknowledgement about CBD's potential, the agency has said it still wants more data. My next guest is Richard Rose, who has worked with hemp for decades and is a self-described hemp OG. He created the first open-source hemp brand, Snowbacco and Not Pot. He also created CannaSearch, which has opened consumer access to research of cannabis for dozens of medical conditions. Additionally, he founded the Medicinal Hemp Association, the Hemp Flower Products Association, and resurrected the Hemp Food Association. Welcome to the NutriCast, Richard. Thanks, Danielle. Nice to be here. So let's start off with a little bit of background on you because you do have a pretty colorful background. I know you talked a lot about hemp 2.0. Yes, indeed. So hemp is mankind's uh, oldest cultivated crop and uh, its utility for all these, these years going back dozens of millennia has been as a fiber for, for ropes or fishing lines or, or binding or uh, for building shelters and, and protection and the like, clothing shoes, things like that. But uh, around 1996, although hemp seed has been food for all these millennia, you can't make fiber and not have seed. So with all that excess seed laying around, you'd feed it to animals or eat it yourself. There are uh, indigenous uh, dishes uh, around the world and uses of hemp seed in foods. Um, Some are rituals, some are uh, popular, and uh, it's been around for thousands of years. So that isn't new, but what was new is in 1996, we learned how to take the shell off. And that advance was as significant as learning how to take the shell off a sunflower seed, for instance, to get to the, uh, the inner fruit that was so nutritious and delicious. So in 1996, we started doing shelled hemp seed, and I was the first to do it in North America by a couple years and developed Hemp Nut Incorporated. I called it Hemp Nut. Today, you often call it hemp hearts, but it's a uh, common and usual name is shelled hemp seed or, or hulled hemp seed. And that was such a, a big revolution. Today, it's 90% of Canadian hemp, for instance, and was the value driver in hemp before CBD around the world. You're a hemp pioneer in a lot of ways. In the food side, absolutely. I had been making vegan foods, soy foods, since 1980. So on the food side, I drove a lot of that innovation 20, 25 years ago. So with that background in hemp and your expertise, of course, that naturally led you to CBD. Indeed. So in about 2014, I, I was retired. In 2002, I left to be retired. I just sold Rella for millions. And the uh, fiber group sued DEA for legalizing 90%, 96% of the hemp industry outright with Nomax THC, thereby killing the hemp food industry, the market for, for years. It almost took Canadian hemp with it. So I had just sold Rella and I retired. I just walked away from it all. Two and a half million invested in, in Hemp Nut Incorporated. And um, and walked away, and uh, in 19, let's see, 2014, I got back into it with CBD, started educating on Facebook, Medicinal Hemp Association. Three largest CBD companies asked me to, to do that as a real trade association for them to advocate for the emerging CBD industry and, and push back on uh, 
people were trying to hurt it. It was new and it was misunderstood at the time. And so CBD drug me back into the industry in 2014 and then uh, subsequent worked on smokable hemp as a non-tobacco tobacco replacement. The no-bacco, not-pot brands I open sourced to try to uh, get people to see the vision of what it could be back in 2015 and been educating all this time, thousands of posts. Today, I post about 10,000 posts on hemp and CBD a year through the Richard Rose Report. And I write about uh, policy and, and product development, marketing, branding issues on the Richard Rose Report as well. And you have a reputation for being very candid. You don't sugarcoat anything if anybody's been to the richardrosereport.com. What are your thoughts right now for those who haven't been there on everything that's going on with the FDA kind of dragging their feet and getting any sort of guidance for CBD? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a big question, isn't it? So <laughs> FDA has the Food and Drug Cosmetic Act, 1938. It has DSHEA, the, the Dietary Supplement Health Education Act, 1994. It has the Modernization Act at its disposal. Unfortunately, instead, it sat on its hands all these years, just you know, like they did in hemp foods, hallelujah, uh, back then. <laughs> but they really just ignored us and what we were doing back then. And they, they, did, they took the same tack with CBD and, and thereby painted themselves into a corner because they've been saying uh, for the last 50 years that cannabis has no medical value and it has a high potential for abuse. And today, 47 of the 50 states have some form of uh, medical value in it yet uh, it's still Schedule One, nevertheless. And so FDA has really got themselves in a pickle, um, the way they've mismanaged the regulation of, of CBD, the, the use of the exclusionary rule to protect Epidiolex is, I believe, unconstitutional. The, the 47, ignoring the 47 states that found medical value is unconstitutional and uh, pr pretending that they don't have enough laws or budget to, uh, to manage CBD is, is a farce. And um, I suggest everybody go to the FDA website and uh, right now their comment period is open for cannabis and cannabis products. Uh, they reopened it indefinitely and people should go there and, and tell them uh, what they think and how wrong they are about Schedule 1 and about trying to control CBD and protect Epidiolex from, from other competitors and the like. You recently penned an article called Pearl Clutchers Demand FDA Do Something, Anything About CBD, and you call them four anti-dietary supplement organizations with zero expertise in cannabis or hemp. You say sent a letter to FDA speaking their mind, demanding action on safe, not scheduled CBD from legal hemp. It amounts to what you call Prohibition 2.0. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yes. Well, these organizations have a history of being anti-dietary supplement and not having any expertise in cannabis. Uh, much of what they wrote belies that and, and reveals that they, they really don't understand the issue. And a, lot of their, a couple of their references have problems with it, but they weren't even aware of, aware of it. And, and they made... Uh, frequent use of them. So it, it, it's almost like a PTA group demanding something be done, uh, you know, at the local school about uh, some issue or another. CBD was never scheduled. 
by Congress. Uh, Ninth Circuit ruled that in 2004 that cannabinoids, natural cannabinoids, were never scheduled by Congress. Uh, DEA scheduled them, but that was pursuant to the UN Treaty, the Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs, and so it applies only to DEA licensees. So ironically, CBD is scheduled only for DEA licensees and no one else. These four groups want, it looks like they're pushing for more regulation of dietary and supplements in general, use, leveraging the CBD issue to get it and maybe get some more budget and laws for FDA in this regard. CBD, that cat is out of the bag and it's not going back in. And, you know, with thousands of retailers, even down to, uh, unfortunately, gas stations mm-hmm. seem to be one of the largest channel segments for CBD. Popularity, it's, it's, a, it's mentioned on TV shows and in movies and in jokes. And, and it, it's, uh, it really captured the, the public's imagination worldwide. Something needs to be done. FDA has plenty of of laws uh, at its disposal, and it's pretty obvious that um, cannabinoids have been consumed for millennia without incident in in hemp foods and hemp seed oil. I think FDA is going to have segmented by dose and form, much like they do other substances that are a food, a dietary supplement, and a drug as well. Yeah, just going back to those letters, I know that APA, the American Herbal Products Association, and also the Hemp Industries Association, they did fire off a letter in response refuting those four groups, saying they demonstrated a significant misunderstanding of federal controls that are already in place for foods and supplements. And then separately, CRN filed a citizen's petition to the FDA just demanding the agency step up and start regulating where do you fall in line with these groups, if any, and what do you want to see from the FDA? Well, this is extremely difficult conversation to have when the shadow of schedule, the lie of schedule one looms large. We can't, I, the, the, most, the most onerous regulation for any plant is, is to be in schedule one, and that's where cannabis is. And until that is rectified, it's hard to have any discussion at all. So to me, the first thing FDA needs to do is do the right thing and deschedule marijuana from, uh, from Schedule 1. It really doesn't belong there. It's against congressional intent to leave it there. Congress was awaiting the Schaefer Commission report that was a group of handpicked prohibitionists were going to come out with this report. After two years, they did. And they recommended decriminalization federally. Nixon promptly buried the report, and marijuana remained in Schedule One ever since against congressional intent. And as well, with the 47 states having some found some form of medical value per federalism, it's, it's unconstitutional as well. FDA was supposed to be the, the buffer against the politics of drug scheduling of marijuana, and they, they, FDA is who we all look to to be the science the scientific expert for this. And just a few years ago, they refused to deschedule. And that really is the first thing that needs to change. Not much can discussion can happen when, a, when it's schedule one. Beyond that, I believe they need to just segment it by type of uh, CBD, source of it, and the form it's in, uh, what kind of product and what kind of form, whether it's isolate or full spectrum extract or, or whatever. Similar to what the UK does with novel foods, they view isolate as a, a novel food, but not a natural hemp seed oil that happens to contain CBD, for instance. 
Do you see them descheduling it at all anytime soon? You know, I mean, it's it after 50 years of, of lying about it, after 83 years total since the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, lying about uh, this racist, unconstitutional law that Nixon was targeting blacks and war protesters with, it just it beggars belief that even today, after all these legal marijuana states selling selling it billions a year, that it it's still Schedule One with no medical value. Uh, Thirty-three thousand three hundred fifty-three studies in uh, in PubMed alone mention marijuana. It's one of mankind's most studied plants, and so we all know it has medical value. Uh, even the most diehard prohibitionist admits they know somebody that got value from it. The late Charlotte Figgy got value from it. Millions have, but FDA is still uh, steadfastly maintaining that it belongs in Schedule 1. So, I mean, I would hope that Trump would have wanted to show up the Democrats and deschedule it since it was a Democrat that originally made marijuana illegal. Obama didn't do it, and he was a former pot smoker. So how it remains in Schedule 1 is just beyond any comprehension. So it's 100% political. It has nothing to do with science. The normal versus DEA case from the 80s, that was the, the ruling, was that it's not a scientific argument. It's completely political. So I would hope that FDA would make amends for their 50 years of lying about it and deschedule it and allow the states to, uh, to regulate it within the state and still have FDA approved drugs and, and maybe uh, uh, manage imports, but not much else beyond that. And speaking of FDA, a report came out that showed CBD products are often mislabeled. They're containing far less or more CBD than advertised. And in some instances, they they do contain THC. What did you make of that? And do you think that if there was more guidance with CBD, would that report even exist to that extent? That's a good question. I, I think if you looked at pharmaceuticals and did the same study, you would find similar results or foods or vitamins or botanicals, bioactives. Variances from stated content are a common problem everywhere in food and in, in, in pharmaceuticals and, uh, and the like. So what I took from that latest report is that 83% were actually within tolerances. 83% were within uh, eight, 80% or higher of stated values or 120% or lower. So if you have a plus minus 20%, that means 83% were within tolerances. So to me, that was really the lead for that story. But the media turned it around to you know uh, make it be about the, the minority products that were uh, not within values. Um, it's an issue and it, it goes back to, I believe, something that the channel, I really hold the channel at fault. Uh, distributors distributing products that have no business being distributed, manufacturers knowing that they can get the distributors to distribute them and, and making products that have no business being manufactured containing synthetic CBD or other other non-disclosed ingredients like vitamin A, vitamin E acetate or, or thinners and things like that. It's an issue, but at 83% within uh, tolerances, I think is really a, a great story. If, if the channel did a better job at uh, vetting the products and vetting the manufacturers that they, they let in, even the, the, you know, the most 
isolated gas station would have high quality CBD products. If there was some guidance, right? I mean, there has to be some sort of standards out there. And right now it seems as though it's just a free for all. Uh, in a way it is because FDA is doing so little in the way of enforcement other than sending letters to people who like the wrong post on Facebook and things like that. But we have standards. We have food standards. Uh, the minimum regulation that any CBD manufacturer should be following is that of a, of a food processing plant. And uh, to that degree, you would make sure that what you put on the label, just like a food, would be what's in the product. So I, if, if I were in the business, I would register as, as, a, uh, as a food plant and, and totally use food production protocols and, and um, GMPs and best practices to, to manufacture CBD products in the absence of any better guidance from, from FDA. So you think that instead of going the dietary supplement route, you think that CBD manufacturers should go along the food route? Well, I think it's safer and I'm biased because, you know, 98% of my products were foods. I had a few dietary supplements, but depending on what form of CBD you use and, and how you use it, the rest, you know, your marketing and, and label disclosures, I, I think foods are going to be a, a more legitimate, uh, safer route than, than supplements right now until they, we get more, more guidance from, from FDA. Would it behoove some of these CBD companies to get a dietary supplement executive or somebody from a food company on their team to help guide them through some of some of these regulations or lack thereof? Yeah, I think it would. And uh, even if it's just consulting, but compliant, using dietary supplement compliance plus food industry compliance, plus the stuff that I'm talking about that you won't read in the media or hear at the conferences very often, but you will pay thousands of dollars to consultants and lawyers to tell you. Combine the, you know, that knowledge base with some of these ways of approaching it, like you know, having hemp seed oil as an ingredient that just happens to contain six to 15% CBD, you know, 6% CBD. And if you wanted to end up with 0.6, it would just have to be in there at, uh, at a 10% level in your food. Think, things like that are going to be the workarounds for FDA being so hands-off. I think one of the biggest challenges when incorporating CBD into food is the dosage. I mean, you could have CBD in your gummies, you could have CBD in your drink. I mean, there's so many different forms of it. How do you know how much to take? And how would we develop some type of standard dosage? Yeah, that's that seems to be what FDA is wrestling with right now. I, I think the way to look at it is if hemp seed oil can easily be 6% CBD, there's, a, there's one rule of thumb. And, um, and why I say 6% is if definition of a hemp product is uh, maximum THC of 0.3 and hemp typically has at least 20 to 1 uh, CBD to THC, that puts your 0.3 THC up to 6% CBD. So if we use that as a rule of thumb, that's, that's one way to, to look at foods. Another might be, say, 25 milligrams per serving would be a food, 25 or less, and then maybe 26 to 70 could be a dietary supplement. 
or 26 to 200 uh, milligrams per serving could be a dietary supplement. And then if you want to make claims, you got to go the FDA approval route and get reimbursed on insurance and things like that. Do what Epidiolex, what they did with Epidiolex and are trying to do with Sativex and get those FDA approved. But the, the bigger issues with CBD and food are, of course, form. Are you going to use a full spectrum that has many other cannabinoids and terpenes in it? Or are you just going to use uh, isolate? If you use a full spectrum, how are you going to deal with uh, the flavor profile and impact on, on organoleptic qualities and things like that? It's a pretty complicated topic. And for somebody such as myself who writes about it pretty regularly, it's still pretty overwhelming. I can't imagine... FDA and lawmakers grappling with this. It, a lot of this has to kind of go over their head. Uh, it does. And um, it's profoundly complex and complicated. And I only know all this because I've been dealing with FDA and state FDAs and FDAs around the world for 40 years. So I, I don't look at them as Moses giving us pronouncements etched in, in granite, but see them as the um, the wish list uh, that they, as mere bureaucrats trying to figure this out. That was part of the reason they had that comment period of, what, a couple years ago now, I guess, year and a half ago, on CBD, ostensibly on CBD. It was really on cannabis. Uh, CBD took it over, but it wasn't about, supposed to be about CBD. It was supposed to be about cannabis and cannabinoid products. That's the comment period that's still open. But that was a lot of what public comment period was about. They were grappling with this issue of dosages and, you know, and the different food slash dietary supplements slash approved drugs that set precedent uh, for CBD, where it could be all three, depending on dosage and form. You said that in 2014, CBD was new and confusing to a lot of people. It's 2020. It is still pretty new for a lot of people and very confusing to all of us. Where do you see it going in maybe five, six years? Where will we be at? Yeah, it, it, is, uh, it is confusing and new for a lot of people still. And uh, it seems like the confusion doesn't get any better over time. In fact, it's just gotten worse. So there are over 150 cannabinoids. Uh, CBD is one, THC is but one. Whatever we precedent we set up for CBD, we have another 149 to go through. And so we need to be cognizant that it's not just about CBD, but it's also about CBG and CBGA and THCA and the, the Varens and uh, CBN and, and a lot of other products are going to have to run, uh, cannabinoids are going to have to run this gauntlet again. So we need to be cognizant that whatever we're doing here can be applied to the other 149 cannabinoids that will, will come after it. Part of this is this transition between prohibitionist lies to uh, science-based, fact-based, evidence-based public policy. And they've been lying about cannabis for 83 years, and we've paid a pretty stiff price over that time with millions arrested and putting our best and brightest in jail or killing them and, and over this. And the black market has flourished, the mafias, the mobs, all the various uh, underworld gangs have flourished just because of this, this one little uh, Nixon dirty trick from 1970. FDA is sort of the lead 
in that because it is, after all, a, a, an issue of science and, and uh, they've been pushing the prohibitionist line all along. So they, they back themselves into a corner and, you know, we're never going to get our 21st Amendment. We're never going to get our Deshea for cannabis. They're never going to say, oh, here's your law to make it easy for you, like they did dietary supplements and Deshea. We're, we're never going to get a, an apology, a mea culpa, like we did, they did for alcohol prohibition in the 21st Amendment. And that's what we're all sort of waiting for and hoping for, but we're just never going to get it. And at best, they're going to sort of inch tiptoe into it and not really admit they were wrong all along or they were just being political all along and make, make it easy for us. You know, the problem fundamentally with FDA and cannabis is this. FDA's single molecule fetish is on a collision course with cannabinoid product makers' multi-molecule ethos. And whereas FDA just wants to deal with single active ingredient drugs, uh, all the cannabinoid product makers want to have as many and a wider variety of uh, cannabinoids and, and terpenes in their products as possible. And, and until FDA can come up with an office of cannabinoid products or something like they have for dietary supplements, this, this is always going to be a, a huge friction for them. You really hit the nail on the head with mentioning it's not just about CBD, it's about CBG, CBN, and all these other cannabinoids that are found in there because, again, there's just so much out there and it's such a gray area and it's never going to stop until they just settle on something. And I don't know if that's ever going to happen. As you mentioned, it's such a complex topic and we've been waiting for years. We might be waiting more years. Who knows? Yeah, the, you know, you have to understand that safe, effective, popular cannabinoid medicines made by today's drug companies and dispensed by pharmacists predate FDA by 100 years. Patent medicines were sold about 100 years before FDA even started. And part of it, the reason FDA started was because to manage and regulate patent medicines that were sold at pharmacists made by companies like Bayer and Park Davis. You know, we, we think these things are all new, but really they're, they're not. They're, they're, they're 100 years older than FDA even. Issues that have been around for hundreds of years and might continue to be issues for hundreds of more. Who knows? Richard Rose of the RichardRoseReport.com. Thank you so much for the candid discussion here on the NutriCast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Daniel. If you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutriCast on iTunes. And for even more neutral-related content, you can always head to NutraIngredients-USA.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutriCast next week.